continuing in our series of podcasts on the female reproductive system. Here we're going to talk about ovulation. As you know, ovulation is a hormone-mediated process resulting in the release of the secondary oocyte. Release occurs at the midpoint of the menstrual cycle, so if we assume a 28-day cycle, then ovulation would occur on day 14. Now remember, we pointed out that cycles are not necessarily 28 days, so a general rule of thumb is that ovulation will occur at the midpoint of the menstrual cycle, regardless of how long the cycle is. Now there's a 0.97 likelihood that only one follicle is going to reach maturity in a menstrual cycle. Now you do know that it is possible to get twins. That means that perhaps there's about a 3% chance that at any ovulation more than one oocyte would be ovulated, so there's a potential for twinning, but it's not that high a percentage. Ovulation results from several factors. There's an increase in volume and pressure of follicular fluid. Enzymatic proteolysis of follicular cells by plasminogen plays a role in ovulation. There's deposition of glycosaminoglycans between the oocyte cumulus ophorus and the remainder of the stratum granulosum. There's contraction of smooth muscle cells in the theca externa, and this is under the influence of prostaglandins. So all these factors can aid in the process of ovulation, that is the rupturing of the germinal epithelium on the surface so that the oocyte can get out of the ovary. A secondary oocyte remains viable for about 24 hours after ovulation. It will degenerate in the uterine tube if it is not fertilized. Once ovulation occurs, a corpus luteum will form. The corpus luteum, as you'll come to appreciate, is a temporary structure that will eventually involute as a corpus albicans. This just traces follicular development from the primary follicles to the secondary antral follicles, the mature graphene follicle. Here is ovulation. The oocyte and the corona radiata are released. The corpus luteum, so-called yellow body, forms as granulosa cells and thecal cells fold in as the follicle will collapse on itself after ovulation. The granulosa luteal cells are larger cells than more centrally located cells. The thecal luteal cells come from the theca interna. These are smaller cells, they're more heavily stained and they're peripherally located. The corpus luteum will secrete progestogens and estrogens and it will decline and function after two weeks of fertilization does not occur. This diagram just shows you what the corpus luteum might look like. So here are the theca luteal cells forming these wedges that come in that intermingle with the granulosa luteal cells. The image here shows a low-power view of the corpus luteum. Here would be the cavity which formerly surrounded the oocyte. The arrows here would highlight some of the cells of the theca interna. Here is a higher magnification of the wall of the corpus luteum, and you can clearly see some of these smaller, more darkly staining thecal luteal cells and the larger, more lightly staining granulosa luteal cells. 
is just a histological view of the corpus albicans. And you'll appreciate this in the laboratory. The corpus albicans takes up a large percentage of the ovary with respect to area of the ovary. Over time, the corpus albicans will disappear as it'll be is essentially forming a scar tissue. And over time, it's going to be taken over by stromal cells and connective tissue cells in the ovary, and they will eventually disappear. This slide looks at meiosis in the context of growth, maturation, and fertilization. And remember that primary oocytes may be arrested for up to 50 years in the dipletidine stage of meiosis one. The reduction division, meiosis one, actually is occurring as the oocyte progresses to ovulation. And it's going to yield the secondary oocyte and the first polar body. Now the cartoon is highlighting just the generic sequence of events that occurs in meiosis within mammalian cells. Meiosis and ovulation vary from species to species. In humans, the reduction division, meiosis 1, is occurring simultaneously with or just maybe an hour or two before ovulation. So that's why we say that in most cases the oocytes that you see within the ovary are primary oocytes. Understand that exception that if the reduction division occurs just before ovulation then that oocyte would be the secondary oocyte. The equational division in meiosis, meiosis 2, that is arrested at metaphase and it's only going to resume when the sperm penetrates the ovum. In this cartoon, this is showing division of the first polar body. In humans, the first polar body generally does not divide, it disintegrates. So you don't see a secondary polar body in humans. What happens after the sperm penetrates, the secondary oocyte undergoes the second meiotic division and it technically then becomes the ovum and then the male and female pronuclei are going to replicate their DNA then they're going to fuse and they'll undergo the first mitotic division of the zygote. Sperm capacitation occurs in the female reproductive tract and sperm capacitation involves biochemical and structural modifications to the sperm plasma membrane. The sperm acquire the ability to fertilize the ovum within the female tract. Fertilization usually occurs in the ampulla of the oviduct. As you know, there may be 50 to 60 million sperm in an ejaculate. Of that 50 to 60 million sperm, only a couple of hundred actually make it to the site of fertilization. The final stages of capacitation occur when the sperm binds to the zona pellucida, and that will trigger the acrosomal reaction as sperm bind to zona pellucida 3. That'll cause a block to polyspermy, the oolemma, the so-called plasma membrane of the oocyte is going to depolarize just as soon as the first sperm penetrates the ovum. Turns out that several sperm can penetrate the zona pellucida, but only one will penetrate the ovum. As soon as that first sperm penetrates the ovum, the oolemma depolarizes and there'll be a cortical reaction. There'll be a massive release of the cortical granule content into the perivitelline space. 
Now the corpus luteum of pregnancy forms after implantation, and that depends on human chorionic gonadotrophin that comes from the syncytiotrophoblast. It depends on LH and prolactin production from the anterior pituitary, and it depends on secretion of insulin from the pancreas. Now I want to say a word about follicular atresia because it turns out that 99.9% .9 of all the follicles are lost by atresia and atresia is mediated by apoptosis of granulosa cells. Atresia can occur at any stage of follicular development but it mostly occurs in the fetal period and prior to puberty. Follicular cells degenerate very rapidly in atresia and you'll also see exaggerated profiles of the zona pellucida on later stages of follicles that are undergoing atresia. So here's an example of an atretic follicle and you can see this remnant that's exaggerated of the zona pellucida. Here is a normal secondary follicle and here's an atretic secondary follicle. Look how you see far fewer of the granulosa cells. These cells have just broken down and degenerated. Very common in the later stages of follicular atresia. Here's some more examples of follicular atresia. You can see the exaggerated profiles of the zona pellucida. These dark lines around here are just simply penciled in lines to highlight the oocytes and follicles or in atresia. Here's another larger example of an atretic follicle, this one almost in a, the graphene stage. Notice how you don't see much of the corona radiata around the oocyte, the cumulus of forest is very much diminished and you can see very thinned out degrading cells in the layers of granulosa cells around the periphery of this follicle. You should correlate hormonal regulation that you're talking about in physiology with what you see histologically. So here we're looking at the follicular phase, estrogens from the follicular phase, feeding back on the hypothalamus and pituitary, FSH interacting on the follicles, the LH surge causing ovulation, progesterones, estrogens in the luteal phase or the secretory phase. So I'm not going over this in detail for our course, but you want to be able to understand this in relation to what you see histologically and understand the physiological ramifications of how the different hormones interact with the female reproductive system.